And now, the man who takes the BS out of BS, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where we're working to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today we speak with Adam Stemptenagel of Radiant Labs. Adam's a man full of energy and drive and is always eager to help. Listen in today's podcast as Adam describes the arc of his career that started in political activism and currently involves him in software, home decarbonization, and net zero retrofits. Adam shares his insights with us into cost versus benefits of measures, as well as the future job classification called a home project advisor. Take a look in the show notes for links to Adam's LinkedIn profile, as well as the Geos project we discussed, Snug Home Pro, and Radiant Labs. Let's take it away with Adam talking to us about how to retrofit all homes to net zero energy. Pleased to be talking today with Adam Steptenagel. How did I do on that name? That's pretty good. Pretty good? Let's give us the real version. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty close. So Steptenagel is how we would say it. Steptenagel. Okay. So Adam and I go back to when I was working with Testo, I think. So that would be no earlier than 2008 or 2009. And we met in Boulder. And take us back to that point in time. What were you doing at that time in Boulder? Yeah. Or Denver, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Boulder, Denver area for sure. So I had just started a hearse rating company called Sustainably Built. The idea was to be green building consultants. And at the time, I was also involved in helping the city of Boulder and Boulder County pass some of the very strictest energy codes in the country. And as part of that, I'm like, oh, we need this hearse rating thing in order to verify that the houses are built to this level of energy efficiency. So I started the Sustainably Built to be that hearse rater and get involved in that whole process. And very quickly from the beginning, it was like cost-benefit analysis. It's like, you can do this stuff. You can, of course, get to net zero, but can you do it affordably? And so that was the premise of Sustainably Built. And I was cutting my teeth on all the building science and learning all the tricks of the trade and really diving into energy modeling and going inside and out with Remrate, trying to get to the bottom of how all that worked. And you had a really cool advantage of having Remrate down the street from you? It was pretty nice. In fact, so there, there were quite a few times where I actually hopped on my bicycle and rode down the street to Architectural Energy Corp and hung out with Dave Roberts and Rob Salcedo, who were running that back then. I'm like, wait a second, these calculations, they don't look right. Something's off here. Why is this doing this? And we'd just have really interesting conversations about how the software was built at that point in time. And a whole lot has changed since then. So that's a really good thing. And let's take that point in 08, 07, 08, and then pivot backwards to like, what was your arc, career arc coming into that point? Yeah. Well, before that, so in the early 2000s, I was heavily involved in political activism. We were doing video and websites and independent media and really taking a look at this whole anti-globalization movement that was going on. And so there are a lot of questions about how the world economy was moving forward. And it ended up that a lot of what we were seeing is obviously a lot of ecological damage, but climate change was 
fairly talked about at that point in time. And so the more I was doing that political activism, I was hearing more and more about climate change and global warming and what this meant and what was happening and started getting more interested in how do we solve that? And eventually I got tired of the political activism space and wanted to actually do something that I could see the change in front of me. And my uncle was really involved in the interior design space and had an awesome firm in Chicago doing some really cool stuff. And they did a lot of green building. And he put me on to Ed Masria and Ed Masria's work in his Architecture 2030 Challenge, which basically they came to the conclusion that 48% of all the greenhouse gas emissions in the United States were attributed to the building industry. I was like, ah, I need to get involved in that. And it was just super interesting to me. So I went out and started from scratch. I got all this technology in my background, but I wanted to learn building science and energy assessments. And so I went and got a LEED certification and took some classes in that and started from scratch learning about building science, about how buildings work, about green materials, and just started moving down that path. And next thing you know, I'm involved in starting the Boulder Green Building Guild, was a founding steering committee member of that and got to know a lot of the builders that were actually doing it and was helping them build their websites. I'm the tech guy. So the tech guy comes in and I help them with the stuff that I know. But I said, actually, will you let me work for you? I want to work on the job site. Like I want to actually get into the house and see how it's done. And I don't care. I'll dig the ditches for you. I'll take out the trash. I'll do the recycling. You name it. I want to be on the job site so I can learn what it's like to build a green building. And fortunately, Boulder had a great community of folks that were really pushing the envelope there. David Johnston and Eric Daub, among many others, were really pushing the envelope with some of the things that they were coming up with at that time. So I learned a lot. And then I got involved as well in a nonprofit called the Center for Resource Conservation. And this, they had an arm that was actually Reclaim Building Materials Sales Yard. And so I started running their deconstruction program where we'd go in and tear apart houses all the way down to the studs and take the wood studs and recycle those. And we'd hammer the nails out of the studs and resell them at the sales yard. So it was really interesting learning experience. I really got my hands into the dirt and into the framing and learned how houses were built. And so there was a lot of really interesting stuff there. But At the same time, I was taking those green building classes and decided we can really influence how new homes are built, not just with sustainable and reclaimed materials, but let's make them really use a lot less energy. And how do we focus on that? So in that process, I discovered this energy analysis, energy modeling. And so Remrate showed up and I started playing with the tool and learning it inside and out. And I said, okay, well, we can figure out how much energy a house really uses and calculate it and verify it and check if that insulation was installed properly and make sure that R value, thanks to Bill's tools, which we'll probably talk about later, help us figure out. So I started Sustainably Built using those skills, working with the folks that I had gotten to know really well at the Boulder Green Building Guild. Now that these new building codes were passed that required the hearse rating, they needed a hearse rater. So I'm like, hey guys, let me help you out. And so I got started with my first business. And then from there, take us forward to span the gap from that period of time to what you're doing now. So new building codes and construction were super interesting. I got involved early on with trying to look at that cost-benefit analysis. How much does it cost to 
get to these really strict building codes that Boulder County had passed. I mean, they literally said HERS rating of 10, they wanted it to be a net zero energy home, but just the way the HERS ratings were structured at that time, a 10 was pretty darn good. And you'd actually be producing more energy than you were consuming at that point in time. So we said HERS rating of 10, any house bigger than 5,000 square feet has to meet that. That was like the minimum energy code requirement in 2007. So Boulder was really pushing the envelope with that. And the big question was always, can you do that cost effectively? And right away, it was a little hard to do that, especially on these really big houses to make that cost effective. But I started getting involved with a wonderful gentleman named Norbert Klebel, who had this vision for a net zero energy community, a 350 unit development that was all going to be net zero right down the street in Arvada, Colorado. And this neighborhood was called Geos and discoveredgeos.com was the website. And the whole idea behind this was to design these new homes in such a way that they were truly net zero. The whole development was fossil fuel free, but it was so perfectly strategically designed that it actually wouldn't cost a dime more in total operating cost and capital cost to buy a Geos home than it would to the production built houses next door. Is that because? The plans were, I wouldn't call them strict, but there were fewer options. In other words, you had to have a house that looked and functioned in a certain way. You had options to pick from, but because of scale, he could offer that price. There's a lot of things that went into that. And there was a lot of optimization and the architects, the landscape architect and the actual building architect were phenomenal folks that plotted the whole development. All the homes were pre-designed. So you didn't have really a choice, but the homes were pre-designed and laid out and they were set up in a checkerboard manner. And Michael Tavel (laughs) invented this concept, I think, or pulled it from some other examples elsewhere in the world, but put this together so that the row houses didn't all line up on the curb, but every other house would either be on the curb or on the backside of the lot so that the south facing sun would always be able to shine on the solar panels and onto the sides of the house so that it would get this passive solar effect without casting a shadow on the other house. And so something so simple as where you put the building on the lot, which costs zero extra dollars to do that, made perfect sense. And it was all in that initial design. That's a decision that lasts, quote unquote, forever for the life of the building. Exactly. And then with the landscaping, they designed it so every tree that was planted on the south would not grow more than two stories so that it couldn't shade the solar panels. But every tree that was on the south was also deciduous so that in the summer, it would help shade the hot sun. And in the winter, the sun would go through. Just classic passive solar design, but taken to just the extreme of good design. And just every little piece was meticulously thought through which made my job that when they brought me in to say, well, how much energy are we saving by doing this? Or how much energy do we need to power the house so that we can get to net zero? And what kind of HVAC equipment might we want to use? It made my job so much easier. And it was really interesting because I started doing the cost benefit analysis on all these designs. And I'm like, you guys are pretty darn good. There's not much more I can squeeze out of this. But we had some decisions to make. Are we going to use a six inch sip for the walls or a four inch sip? And there's a couple thousand dollar difference for one of these units. And so we had to make the decision, how much energy are you actually saving by going with the six inch SIP versus the four inch SIP? And because the houses were already built so tight and all these other pieces were just like, the the four inch SIP only saved maybe $50 a year. 
And if you had regular utility bills and it came down to the effect of adding two more solar panels on the roof. So two more solar panels is way cheaper than four or $5,000 extra for the additional side SIP. That was really where all these things got started. And what we discovered by working with Norbert at Geos was that there is zero reason, and this is in 2008, 2009, there was zero reason to not build to net zero energy because the total money you save on that monthly utility bill is more than the total extra cost on your mortgage for that extra set of improvements that was done to get that house to net zero. So on a 30-year mortgage, new construction, it's just absolute no-brainer. The amount of money they saved by simply not bringing gas infrastructure into the development, if you put that into the mix, it's huge what that saved. And on an individual house perspective, just the plumbing for the gas by not bringing it in, it's pretty significant. Were you that close to the savings analysis to know if projected future costs were used for the utility for the fuel or for gas electric? Yeah, that's actually on the website still, the little calculator. There's the extra money you will pay to buy a Geos home. And here's how much money you're going to save on your utility bills on a monthly basis. And here's what it looks like over time. There's a little graph. You can run the graph and see over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, how much money you're saving. I guess I'm asking more like if the calculations done now account for the cost of fuel today. Oh. Cost of power today. How close did that align? Today, natural gas is way more expensive than it was back then in Colorado because of the fracking boom. And it's a very different story. Yeah. So that pulls in that payback, if you will. It's even more. If you were to do it today, electricity is a touch more expensive, but solar is almost half the price of back then. So today, net zero new construction, it's almost criminal to not do it. Every production builder in the country should be doing net zero energy development. It just makes perfect sense. So that's a perfect segue <laughs> into our topic sentence, which allowed you to produce for me, is how to retrofit all homes to net zero energy. And by all, you mean existing. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And you're not just one of those people that says, I have this idea. You have evidence. Tell I us did what it. you're doing. Yeah. I did it on my own house. I eventually had to flee the cold of the Colorado, beautiful mountains, and had to leave behind this beautiful, wonderful place. And I moved to Florida so that I could stay warm all the time. And it was an interesting experience to do that. Very different climate, of course, totally different building science principles that you've got to adhere to down here. Going from cold and dry to hot and humid is quite the change. So moved down here just last year and bought a house in St. Petersburg, Florida, and took it to net zero and went through this entire process myself, finally eating my own dog food, as I like to say, here we go. Like, how do we do this? And how do we take a home to net zero? So I did put my building science hat back on and start doing a lot of research and figure out how do we get there here? And the same principles apply, build tight, ventilate, right. But how far do you go? And does it make sense to insulate the walls in Florida? Your delta in temperature is seldom more than 20 degrees between your conditioned interior and your exterior. So insulation by itself isn't nearly as important as air tightness, perhaps, and getting really efficient heating and cooling systems, and then taking advantage of as much of the amazing Florida sun that we can get our hands on. So the cost benefit was different. 
but it was kind of a similar calculation going from a six inch sip to a four inch sip. I made the same kind of choice. I decided not to insulate my concrete block walls because the cost of doing so was exorbitant. I'd have to wrap it with foam with a rigid board of some kind and then do all new siding and or stucco. We're probably talking $20,000 to do that kind of a retrofit. And my software says $60 a year that you might save. So it's a very similar concept. And so the solar that I put on my roof was so cheap. I ended up paying $2.60 a watt pre-tax credit. And so two more panels was just a drop in the bucket compared to that re-insulating the outside of the house. And I still get the net zero and I still have the same amount of carbon savings, if not way less carbon, because how much carbon would have gone into wrapping the foam and the additional materials going around the outside. So you start looking at embodied carbon, it could be significantly more, but the end result is my bills are the same. It's just a different way of getting there. And so that's the work that I do today and that my software companies now are focused on. I want to jump to the software companies in a moment, but I just wanted to check on. So you're saying materials, techniques are available to do what you did. And that's why it's criminal not to do it. How about contractors that are trained and appreciate? That was the hardest part. It was the hardest part of my job down here in in Florida. In Boulder, they're everywhere because they've had 15 years of these building codes requiring this work. Let me tell you, in 2007, when I was helping these guys learn about advanced framing, (laughs) <laughs> it was not easy to convince them to make these changes. And we were really trying to, especially some of the larger builders were trying to meet these codes in Boulder and they were just livid. They're like, we can't do this. It's too expensive. So there was a whole education process around getting people to understand, yes, you can do this. It's not that much different. You do it once or twice and you're going to be great at it and you're going to streamline that whole process and it's going to be fast. Here, as soon as I got to Florida, there's hardly anybody here doing that kind of work and that level of detail. A few builders doing really high-end, nice homes, and they are taking them to net zero. But those folks aren't going to help me as I take my little ranch house to net zero energy in downtown St. Pete. I had to just search and search and search. And I figured out the basic principles. I eventually found a really smart HVAC design guy who helped me build a strategy for my ventilation, for my mechanical ventilation, figure out, should I go with ductless or ducted? Should we stay with the central ducts? Do we replace the ducts? What really should I do in order to create the comfort in the space that I want to live in and solve my goals of getting rid of the humidity in my house? It wasn't Fred, was it? No, no. It's a guy named Neil from HVAC Designs. The only thing he does is manual J, manual D, manual T, manual S, like the whole set of manuals for $200. He'll do a single story HVAC full on design and return it in a day. This guy is incredible. He's done 60,000 of these things. So (laughs) this guy's like just brilliant. And I really tested him because I'm like, okay, I really need an ERV. He's like, no, you don't. ERVs can't remove the amount of humidity that exists down here. I'm like, oh, really? Damn. And I, okay, well, how about a serve? And well, I never heard of a serve. And then I start talking with the serve folks and like, yet, no, we can't remove that much humidity. Sorry. So Neil says you need a ventilating dehumidifier. That's how you're going to get rid of the, the humidity and bring in fresh air at the same time. We got this design and it was crucial. So I had talked to three or four different HVAC contractors about how do you ventilate? They're like, what do you mean? Like ventilation, ERV. What's that? 
nobody has a clue what mechanical ventilation is down here. I mean, it was just not on anybody's radar. But once I got the spec and the whole design, the duct design and the equipment laid out and all that nailed down by Neil, it was amazing because I was able to give that to multiple contractors and they're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And like, oh, yeah, I've put in a dehumidifier before. Oh, yeah. And I've incorporated that into the central system. So, yeah, we can do that. And I've done fresh air dampers. I mean, I've done it on commercial, but I've never done it on a house. So I finally found two contractors who I figured actually got it once the design was in front of them and I chose one. And so here I am and it works great. That's an interesting hack, if you will, to find that intermediate person who can lay it out and then that'll help bring in more choices to your filter of contractors. Whereas before you were speaking at just a level that language was just too much of a gap. It absolutely right. And I think that's actually the future. And that's something that we're really working hard on is to facilitate that project design person, because there's so much to think about. When I was doing my house, not only was I doing the cost benefit optimization around insulation versus solar versus heat pumps, and how far do you go with all those things? I was making sure that the envelope improvements were matching what the heat pump needed and the design would match that. The bids that come in have to match that spec. And then I have to tally up how much total electricity my house is going to use so I can size my solar system on the roof. You definitely, and it's crucial not to oversize here at Duke Energy because there's a minimum bill of $35 a month. You got to pay that no matter what. So if you well oversize, you're really wasting a lot of money. The sweet spot is to actually be a little less than net zero. So you've got a little bit of a bill because they're going to charge you that money anyway. So it's an interesting tactic, but obviously for carbon savings, the goal was to just, I want to use full solar, whatever I can do. So go as far as you could. So this kind of role, the future of someone who facilitates project design, incorporating houses, a system, is that the short definition there? Would you call that person an energy advisor? How would you energy guide? Would you give a title to that? That is probably the best term for that role at this point that the whole country could actually appreciate and understand. It's more than an energy auditor. This is more than BPI energy analyst, but you need that credential to do what you're doing here. You also need to understand energy modeling really well. And so BPI is actually working on, and I've been on this committee and group of folks with John Jones and Larry Zarker at BPI, they're coming out with a new certificate, a new credential. The working title is Home Decarbonization Specialist, but that's going to change for sure. But really, it's this project designer. It's this person that helps the homeowner first assess what they care about, to make sure you figure out what's going on in the house and whether or not that incorporates details from an actual energy auditor or this person actually does the energy audit. It's another story, but bring the data back and design the project because here's the deal. If we're going to take 80 million homes in this country, and I'm talking single family homes to net zero energy or simply to electrify them, doesn't have to be net zero, but the goal now is electrify everything. If you're going to electrify 80 million homes, and all you're doing is throwing heat pumps at the wall, we're going to have a big problem. You got to do the envelope and you got to size the equipment to match the envelope. And you got to install your heat pump water heaters right. And you got to do all this electrification work. It has to be done with 
really good design and bringing all the pieces together carefully, except for here's the problem. Your HVAC guy doesn't care or know anything about insulation. And your insulation guy doesn't know anything about solar and your solar guy doesn't know anything about plumbing and they have their own silos. And in short of the handful of amazing vertically integrated companies that are starting to spring up across the country, which that would be amazing. If we had enough of them to do 80 million homes, awesome. That would solve our problem, but there's no way we're going to get that many fully vertically integrated companies that get this concept to cover all the needs that we have. And then you've got all the mom and pop HVAC contractors. You've got the medium and the midsize. There's really not many national organizations in any of these spaces. National plumber, national HVAC company, they don't exist. So they're all small businesses or medium-sized businesses, and they like what they do. They know how to sell their HVAC equipment. They know how to sell their insulation. So if we can create a role, a project design role that has access to really good tools that can facilitate and create the spec for the insulation and the envelope improvements, create the spec for the HVAC. And they may not have to like actually do the manual J. They could hire Neil. Outsource it. No big deal. But you have to put all those things together and make sure that they line up and then create the spec for the solar and then run the economic model. Say, hey, does all this pencil, is this cost effective? And then be able to communicate that design to the homeowner. And the trades. That's right. And that's a very special training that I think is not impossible. If you start with BPI building analyst, I don't think it's a huge step up to put those pieces together, especially if you have the right tools. Well, that's a perfect segue into what are some of the nice tools you need, Adam? (laughs) (laughs) So a whole nother world there. But as I was cranking along with the new construction at Sustainably Built, we realized pretty quickly that doing a $1,500 hearse rating on an existing home didn't really make a lot of sense to calculate the savings from a $10,000 retrofit. On a half a million dollar new home, $1,500, no problem. From plans, piece of cake. But the very precise instrument of a HERS rating was just overkill for existing homes. So we knew that the HERS rating was too precise and too expensive to do. So I started working with a couple of friends of mine, and we decided to try to figure out how do we deal with existing homes. And so we founded Snug Home to actually make that whole process easy. And we knew that we needed to be able to get in and out of a house and do an energy audit and an assessment very quickly. And $1,500, there's no way we could do that. Ideally, you charge $100 to do a good energy audit with CAS testing and blower door. Still to this day, it's four or $500 to do that. And with rebates and incentives from different utility programs, that comes down quite a bit. But you need to be able to do that analysis very quickly, very cost-effectively, and suggest to the homeowner various sets of improvements that make sense financially. So we started Snug Pro, well, Snug Home as a company. We started taking advantage of the RS stimulus funds that had come out. We started this in 2010, and we originally started building tools that were consumer-facing. And those consumer-facing tools were just, it was education, and here's the stuff we need to do to try to make your home more energy efficient and that sort of thing. But eventually we realized that the contractors were such an important component of this and they were still out there selling HVAC saying, oh yeah, 
put in a 92% efficient gas furnace, you're going to save 20% on your utility bill. I'm like, wait, no, <laughs> that math doesn't sound right. Where do you get that? But they don't do energy models. They just say, oh yeah, we save 10%, we save 20%. And the window salesman always can save 30% by selling you windows. And so the industry didn't have resources to actually calculate real savings. And there were some modeling tools that had been around at that point in time, but we decided to really focus on the energy modeling, but make it so easy that you could do an energy audit and calculate the savings in 20 minutes. And that was our goal. And so that's what Snug Pro is today. And Snug Pro has been around now, well, yeah, 10 years as a tool. We're active in 80 plus some utility and government programs across the country. It's used by the contractors. It's used by energy auditors. It's sometimes used to calculate actual rebates and incentives. And in other cases, it's used just as an auditing tool for consumer education. That is what we shifted to. And I ended up passing the torch to my one of my partners at Sustainably Built. And he ended up running that company until we actually sold it a couple of years ago. But I've been focused on the existing home space since we founded Snug Home in 2010. There's another business endeavor you're working on too. And it's got a pretty shiny name to it. <laughs> shiny, Radiant Labs. So Radiant Labs was another transition, I guess. And so Snug, we're cruising down the line. And back then we were still promoting natural gas furnace upgrades, which it's going to save you some energy for sure. If you go to a sealed combustion system, you're going to keep those toxic fumes out of the house, at least as a lot more than you would have otherwise. And so there were benefits to that, but we also didn't really look at heat pumps very closely because, well, were they efficient enough yet? And could they compete with natural gas? We looked at geothermal a lot. And in 2007, when I was drawing these cost-benefit calculations, we did geo a lot because it could actually have the capacities that gas furnaces would, but was it cost-effective? It was really hard to make that cost-effective. So, so fast forward to, I guess, 2015, maybe 14, Brett Kincaren from the city of Boulder, one of the sustainability coordinators there, came to us and said, hey, we're trying to figure out this carbon problem for the city of Boulder. We've been running this very successful energy smart program for the past four or five years now from the RS stimulus funds. The problem is we're not really saving any carbon. Boulder's growing. Our carbon usage as a city is going up, even though this program is saving some carbon and it's helping. So we got to go way bigger than this. And how do we really tackle carbon in the city? And so he asked us to start running some models and we started doing some experiments and we started cranking out the models and doing some spreadsheets and basically came to this really interesting conclusion that rooftop solar was the ticket to making a heat pump make sense financially. And the other piece of that puzzle was that heat pumps are replacing an existing piece of equipment that will eventually wear out and need to be replaced on its own. So traditionally in the Snug Pro modeling that we did, we're like, oh, a new heat pump, it costs $10,000. That's your expense. But what if I also needed to purchase a new gas furnace anyway, because that thing was going to go out in the next year, I would be out six to $8,000 anyway. So when you start looking at the extra cost of a heat pump, it's actually only two or $4,000 more. This was many years ago now. And so that piece of the equation of looking at the financials there, plus looking at rooftop solar 
changed all the economics. And it allowed us to say, you know what? These new cold climate heat pumps that were largely from Japanese technology really do work. They work down to the really cold temperatures. And now the operating cost of these things can actually be even high efficiency gas systems with the combination of solar bringing that electricity price down, right? At 12 cents a kilowatt hour and 70 cents a therm, heat pump cannot compete. I don't care if you give them away for free. The bill is going to be more. It's going to cost you more every month. But if you have seven, eight cents a kilowatt hour amortized cost of electricity from a solar system, you win big time. Combine those things and it makes perfect sense. Of course, not everybody can do solar. Not everybody needs a new furnace. There's a lot of people who just put in a brand new gas furnace. So how do you help an entire market start to transform its building stock and electrify? So we founded Radiant Labs to largely as a data science company to go in and look at data about the housing stock and then build energy models for the entire housing stock so that we can start to pinpoint the individual houses where the economics do start to make sense. Because again, it doesn't work everywhere. And it's not just like one neighborhood might be, there might be clusters of all electric homes in one neighborhood that's no brainer, convert, that's easy. But every house has replaced their equipment at different stages. We use building permit data to help us figure out where the old equipment is. We use all the public record data that we can get our hands on to start building energy models. And today we're building hourly energy models for every address in a community based on all the public record data, building footprints, permit data. And if we're partnering with a utility or government program, we can use the existing program data as well to help true up the data. We can even apply utility bill calibration to that if we have a utility partner that's willing to work with us there. But we then build this hourly energy model with Energy Plus under the hood for every single address in a community. We've done this for New York State now, working with NYSERDA. We've got 3 million single family homes that we've modeled with an electrification package, and we're able to test various kinds of economic cases. What happens if you apply a $4,000 rebate? Or what happens if you can buy down the interest rate to 3% instead of 7%? Or what if we can actually reduce the cost of installation by training the workforce better? You can plug all those numbers into the mix and see each individual address and how it changes in terms of cash flow by doing those improvements. What if I add solar? What if I add some solar or net zero solar? And you can see all the differences and the types of policies that might help get every home to be cost-effective with a net zero energy or a full building electrification retrofit. Does it work at the individual level? as well as at the aggregate level? Or is it more of, it's fuzzy, but it's the huge polarizer for action? Yeah, it's both, believe it or not. And that's really where the technology is amazing is we actually run that hourly energy model on every individual address and its unique characteristics. It's building footprint data, it's square footage. Every house has its own unique model. So one of the tools that we're about to release here probably in the next few weeks, it's called Domo. And that tool, a consumer starting in New York can go to our website and type in their address and it 
calculates a roadmap to net zero energy right there. And then eventually there will be the interactive capabilities around that. That same tool is the tool that we anticipate these building electrification specialists to use to actually do the design work, to pick the spec for the insulation, to pick the spec for the heat pumps, to help size the solar systems, to figure out what kind of water heater makes the most sense. It will handle the cost benefit analysis. It will help and facilitate the project design. But most importantly, it will communicate the economics and the carbon savings and the comfort to the homeowner. That's pretty impressive. Now, you used a term there, building electrification specialist. Or home decarbonization specialist. This is that energy advisor role that we're talking about that the BPI folks, and I forgot to mention, it's really a NEEP, the Northeast Energy Efficiency Project. They're working with BPI and the DOE to build this certification. So a bunch of different folks are working on it. And several titles to the, it'd be really gnarly acronym, Building Electrification Specialist Energy Auto Decarbonization. Yeah. Yeah. Did you learn anything from doing the project at your house that influenced your business decisions or activities? Everything. That project has driven so much of the direction for this whole platform and how we work with Snug Pro and where that fits into the picture, along with this broad scale economic concept. It took me, I guessed my total hours that I put into the project design, which included wrangling the contractors, understanding the building science of Florida, finding the folks to help me design the systems, then actually figuring out which of all those pieces of the puzzle I wanted to deploy, choosing not to do the walls, choosing to do some extra panels. That whole process was probably 150 hours of my life. Because I called four contractors from every trade till I got one that kind of knew what they were doing. And then even the ones that didn't, I had to go back to them once I knew what I needed to do in order to get them to participate the way I wanted. So it was a heck of a process. And that is not scalable. You can't do that for 80 million homes. There's no way. So what came out of that experience for me is how do we take that whole process and all the work that I put into figuring this stuff out to make the optimal net zero energy home. How do we get that down to five hours, maybe 10 hours at the most? And how do we educate then these new individuals? We're going to need thousands of them, whether it's tens of thousands, I'm not sure, but we're going to need these project designers to have the skills to do this work quickly and help the homeowners find the contractors that are going to do that work. So we're building and focusing the efforts of our tools towards that light to facilitate this process and to streamline that process so that it's maybe five or 10 hours grand total as opposed to 150. Do you have a target in mind when you think you're going to be there? Or maybe you can or cannot talk about this, but any experiments of this? Because it seems like you do a lot of testing before you deploy. So kudos. Absolutely. And so we're putting out the consumer facing segment of this in beta in the next few weeks here, and that'll be in some select New York markets. And then we're still in the background building out all the infrastructure to do this modeling and to expand the modeling so that you can test all different kinds of scenarios on the system. Our goal is to have something ready before the actual Homes Act and Electrification Act rebates 
actually hit the ground, which at fastest is probably going to be nine months from now. I doubt that it's going to be any faster than that, but maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. So that's our goal is to get this tool or at least a version of this tool in the hands of these new building analysts, these energy advisors, so that they can start helping make project designs by around that time. Did you have a hand in commentary or influence in the IRA? I did not. That was a big surprise. Congrats and kudos to Kara and all the folks that have been working on that for so long. Oh my gosh. It's 10 years they've been at it. And it was, I mean, I knew about it. I knew about the concept behind it. I was like, yeah, that'd be amazing. And next thing you know, it's law. And we're like, oh, snug home. It's a BPI 2400 compliant modeling engine. That's written into the law as one of the requirements. Great. Yeah. I wanted you to mention that for sure. Yeah. That you got that capability. So this seems like an awful lot to handle. Is there anything like what's next on Adam's horizon? Find more help. (laughs) Okay. Be able to afford more help, I guess, is the most important piece. But yeah, we've got a lot to figure out. And it's really exciting to participate in all these different committees and groups and being on podcasts like yours and just testing some of these concepts. I mean, you and I have had this whole conversation around ventilation and how do we know when to ventilate and how do we control that? And so looking at all the tech that you guys have around that has been really interesting. We're definitely in fundraising mode as an organization. And so the goal is to expand our capabilities and bring in more folks because there's a lot of really smart people out there that I know could help us with this big task. So So on that note, do you have a preferred way, someone who listens to this and says, hey, I'd like to learn more or I'd like to be involved. What's the best way to reach Adam? Yeah, just Adam at RadiantLabs.co. So not .com, but .co. Adam at Radiant Labs. Okay. Well, it sounds like the building electrical specialist, the decarbonation energy auditor, that will have a home or a house within BPI. Yes. There may even be like their gold star contractor page listing where somebody can go like, oh, there's a place to go to find a contractor. Is that at all in discussion or? That's unclear to me right now. I would hope so. It would make a lot of sense. And honestly, like this individual isn't necessarily going to always be an independent person, not like the energy auditor world. Very likely this kind of credential is going to live within all of the home performance contracting companies, especially the fully vertically integrated companies. They're going to want their staff to have this credential, or at least the people who are out there doing the quotes and estimates and design work. This is going to be a really important feature of that. So I can't imagine not having a database of that out there for who's got those credentials. Our platform will also hopefully, the goal of it will be to connect homeowners to those credentialed individuals and also have a contractor list with ratings to help the homeowner and this project designer choose reputable trades to do the work that at least understand how to follow the spec that's provided to them. I don't need an HVAC guy that knows how to deal with the insulation, but as long as they follow the spec that's provided, we're good to go. And most HVAC folks should at least understand that, whether or not they're willing to sell a heat pump versus a gas furnace. That's another story. So I've had this thought, this goes for new construction, especially, but even for the projects you're talking about with existing construction, when you do elevate the potential for comfort, health, and efficiency within a structure, you can't go without maintenance of it. Absolutely. Where do you think that maintenance 
component will lie so that that gets incorporated into the thinking. There's a lot of ways to tackle that with our roadmap tool, our consumer facing tools called Domo. Consumers will actually hopefully stay engaged with the tool even after the work is done. And there's a lot of the stuff that can be done in a staged approach. You don't need your heat pump water heater right away. You want to do your envelope before your heat pump. And you could put your solar on before you do anything if you're sizing it to what the future thing is going to be. So our tool is designed to allow a staged approach as long as the whole picture is taken into account. And so we hope to engage and stay with the homeowners on an ongoing basis. So, of course, we'll have maintenance reminders, time to change your furnace filter, those types of things. But indoor air quality is such a huge piece of this. And thanks to you, I've learned about the Haven tool and the monitor there. And it's just really neat where the HVAC contractors can monitor the indoor air quality of all of their joints and the folks where they've installed this. And if there's a problem, they know it's time to come out and see what's going on. That's huge. So the more tech that's out there like that, I think it's really going to facilitate that. And hopefully our consumer tool can be an engagement piece for that and facilitation for that ongoing maintenance. With a great overview, we did talk in the last week and you caught me up after a long lapse of contact with each other. And I still learned more <laughs> this last hour. So thank you for sharing. But before we give the listeners back their ears, any closing thoughts you'd like to share? How easy or hard is this to do? Are you talking about something with a really lofty potential or what does it take to get to the place where someone is doing things like you're doing things? There's no doubt that taking a house to net zero energy and fully decarbonizing that house is a difficult task. There is a lot that goes into it. Can it be done simply? Absolutely. Some of these vertically integrated contractors that are out there are doing a phenomenal job of that. Talk to Andy Frank at Sealed and look what Block Power is doing. These folks are doing full home performance. They're providing financing. They're bringing all the pieces of the puzzle together and getting it done. So is it possible to do it? Absolutely. Is it possible to do it quickly and efficiently? Yes. Are we going to be able to do 80 million homes like this in the next 10 years? Not without some pretty significant advances in the tools and technologies and the software, which we hope we're going to be able to provide a big chunk of. So That's your passion. That's your purpose. That's your reason for existing. Is It's all about the climate change and making homes more comfortable while saving the planet at the same time. And you've got a very unique perspective with a lot of hands-on aspects over bordering on 20 years to come to this. And you've got a tremendous amount of eagerness to learn and a tremendous amount of energy and you keep smiling at this conversation. So you must be enjoying this somehow. I do. I love this. It's absolutely my passion. And as you've just witnessed, I will talk anyone's ear off any point in time on all this topic. So. Okay. So everyone who emails them, you've been warned. Exactly. Look out. <laughs> cool. Well, Adam, thank you for joining us here today. I look forward to touching base with you and somewhere down the road, bring you back on the podcast and you'll tell us all the great things you've accomplished from the things you've outlined here today. I hope we can do that. That'd be wonderful. Fantastic. Take care. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. If you have any questions, please send me an email at bill at truetechtools.com. If you like what you heard today and not subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar of any one of the typical podcast services and signing up 
I want to thank you for listening and hope you come back again to listen to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care. Thank you.